Chapter Three of Father Goriot by Honoré de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Chapter Three. Eugène de Rastignac had just returned to Paris in a state of mind not unknown to young men who are conscious of unusual powers and to those whose faculties are so stimulated by a difficult position that for the time being they rise above the ordinary level. Rastignac's first year of study for the preliminary examinations in law had left him free to see the sights of Paris and to enjoy some of its amusements. A student has not much time on his hands if he sets himself to learn the repertory of every theatre and to study the ins and outs of the labyrinth of Paris. To know its customs, to learn the language, and become familiar with the amusements of the capital, he must explore its recesses, good and bad, follow the studies that please him best, and form some idea of the treasures contained in galleries and museums. At this stage of his career a student grows eager and excited about all sorts of follies that seem to him to be of immense importance. He has his hero, his great man, a professor at the Collège de France, paid to talk down to the level of his audience. He adjusts his cravat and strikes various attitudes for the benefit of the women in the first galleries at the Opéra Comique. As he passes through all these successive initiations and breaks out of his sheath, the horizons of life widen around him, and at length he grasps the plan of society with the different human strata of which it is composed. If he begins by admiring the procession of carriages on sunny afternoons in the Champs-Élysées, he soon reaches the further stage of envying their owners. Unconsciously, Eugène had served his apprenticeship before he went back to Angoulême for the long vacation after taking his degrees as Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Law. The illusions of childhood had vanished. So also had the ideas he brought with him from the provinces. He had returned thither with an intelligence developed, with loftier ambitions, and saw things as they were at home in the old manor-house. His father and mother, his two brothers and two sisters, with an aged aunt whose whole fortune consisted in annuities, lived on the little estate of Rastignac. The whole property brought in about three thousand francs, and though the amount varied with the season, as must always be the case in a vine-growing district, they were obliged to spare an unvarying twelve hundred francs out of their income for him. He saw how constantly the poverty, which they had generously hidden from him, weighed upon them. He could not help comparing the sisters, who had seemed so beautiful to his boyish eyes, with women in Paris, who had realized the beauty of his dreams. The uncertain future of the whole family depended upon him. It did not escape his eyes that not a crumb was wasted in the house, nor that the wine they drank was made from the second pressing. A multitude of small things, which it is useless to speak of in detail here, made him burn to distinguish himself, and his ambition to succeed increased tenfold. He meant, like all great souls, that his success should be owing entirely to his merits, but his was preeminently a southern temperament, the execution of his plans was sure to be marred by the vertigo that seizes on youth 
when youth sees itself alone in a wide sea uncertain how to spend its energies whither to steer its course how to adapt its sails to the winds at first he determined to fling himself heart and soul into his work but he was diverted from this purpose by the need of society and connections then he saw how great an influence women exert in social life and suddenly made up his mind to go out into this world to seek a protectress there surely a clever and high-spirited young man whose wit and courage were set off to advantage by a graceful figure and the vigorous kind of beauty that readily strikes a woman's imagination need not despair of finding a protectress these ideas occurred to him in his country walks with his sisters whom he had once joined so gaily the girls thought him very much changed his aunt madame de marcillac had been presented at court and had moved among the brightest heights of that lofty region suddenly the young man's ambition discerned in those recollections of hers which had been like nursery fairy tales to her nephews and nieces the elements of a social success at least as important as the success which he had achieved at the ecole de droit he began to ask his aunt about those relations some of the old ties might still hold good after much shaking of the branches of the family tree the old lady came to the conclusion that of all persons who could be useful to her nephew among the selfish genus of rich relations the vicomtesse de beauseant was the least likely to refuse to this lady therefore she wrote in the old-fashioned style recommending eugene to her pointing out to her nephew that if he succeeded in pleasing madame de beauseant the vicomtesse would introduce him to other relations a few days after his return to paris therefore rastignac sent his aunt's letter to madame de beauseant the vicomtesse replied by an invitation to a ball for the following evening this was the position of affairs at the Maison Vauquer at the end of November, 1819. A few days later, after Madame de Beauseant's ball, Eugène came in at two o'clock in the morning. The persevering student meant to make up for the lost time by working until daylight. It was the first time that he had attempted to spend the night in this way in that silent quarter the spell of a factitious energy was upon him he had beheld the pomp and splendor of the world he had not dined at the maison vauquer the boarders probably would think that he would walk home at daybreak from the dance as he had done sometimes on former occasions after a fete at the prado or a ball at the odeon splashing his silk stockings thereby and ruining his pumps it so happened that christophe took a look into the street before drawing the bolts of the door and rastignac coming in at that moment could go up to his room without making any noise followed by christophe who made a great deal eugene exchanged his dress suit for a shabby overcoat and slippers kindled a fire with some blocks of patent fuel and prepared for his night's work in such a sort that the faint sounds he made were drowned by Christophe's heavy tramp on the stairs. Eugène sat absorbed in thought for a few moments before plunging into his law books. 
he had just become aware of the fact that the vicomtesse de beauseant was one of the queens of fashion that her house was thought to be the pleasantest in the faubourg saint-germain and not only so she was by right of her fortune and the name she bore one of the most conspicuous figures in that aristocratic world thanks to the aunt thanks to madame de marcillac's letter of introduction the poor student had been kindly received in that house before he knew the extent of the favor thus shown to him it was almost like a patent of nobility to be admitted to those gilded salons he had appeared in the most exclusive circle in paris and now all doors were open for him eugene had been dazzled at first by the brilliant assembly and had scarcely exchanged a few words with the vicomtesse he had been content to single out a goddess among this throng of parisian divinities one of those women who are sure to attract a young man's fancy the comtesse anastasie de Rastaud was tall and gracefully made she had one of the prettiest figures in paris imagine a pair of great dark eyes a magnificently moulded hand a shapely foot there was a fiery energy in her movements the marquis de roncarolles had called her a thoroughbred a pure pedigree these figures of speech have replaced the heavenly angel and ossianic nomenclature the old mythology of love is extinct doomed to perish by modern dandyism but for rastignac madame anastasie de restaud was the woman for whom he had sighed he had contrived to write his name twice upon the list of partners upon her fan and had snatched a few words with her during the first quadrille where shall i meet you again madame he asked abruptly and the tones of his voice were full of the vehement energy that women like so well oh everywhere said she in the bois at the bouffon in my own house with the impetuosity of his adventurous southern temper he did all he could to cultivate an acquaintance with this lovely countess making the best of his opportunities in the quadrille and during a waltz that she gave him when he told her that he was a cousin of madame de beauseant's the countess whom he took for a great lady asked him to call at her house and after her parting smile rastignac felt convinced that he must make this visit he was so lucky as to light upon someone who did not laugh at his ignorance a fatal defect among the gilded and insolent youth of that period the coterie of moulincourt's maximes de Troyes, de marseilles roncarolles ajoutapintos and vaudenesses who shine there in all the glory of coxcombry among the best-dressed women of fashion in paris lady brandon the duchesse de langeais the comtesse de kergaroway madame de serizy the duchesse de carigliano the comtesse ferraud madame de lanty the marquise d'aiglemont madame fermiani the marquise de listomere and the marquise d'espard the duchesse de maufrigneuse and the grand lieu luckily therefore for him the novice happened upon the marquis de montriveau the lover of the duchesse de langeais a general as simple as a child from him rastignac learned that the comtesse lived in the rue du helder ah what it is to be young eager to see the world greedily on the watch for any chance that brings you nearer the woman of your dreams 
and behold two houses open their doors to you to set foot in the vicomtesse de beauseant's house in the faubourg saint-germain to fall on your knees before comtesse de restaud in the chaussee d'antin to look at one glance across a vista of paris drawing-rooms conscious that possessing sufficient good looks you may hope to find aid and protection there in a feminine heart to feel ambitious enough to spurn the tightrope on which you must walk with the steady head of an acrobat for whom a fall is impossible and to find in a charming woman the best of all balancing poles he sat there with his thoughts for a while law on the one hand and poverty on the other beholding a radiant vision of a woman rise above the dull smouldering fire who would not have paused and questioned the future as eugene was doing who would not have pictured it full of success his wondering thoughts took wings he was transported out of the present into that blissful future he was sitting by madame de restaud's side when a sort of sigh like the grunt of an overburdened saint joseph broke the silence of the night it vibrated through the student who took the sound for a death groan he opened his door noiselessly went out upon the landing and saw a thin streak of light under father goriot's door eugene feared that his neighbor had been taken ill he went over and looked through the keyhole the old man was busily engaged in an occupation so singular and so suspicious that rastignac thought he was only doing a piece of necessary service to society to watch the self-styled vermicelli maker's nocturnal industries the table was upturned and goriot had doubtless in some way secured a silver plate and cup to the bar before knotting a thick rope round them he was pulling at this rope with such enormous force that they were being crushed and twisted out of shape to all appearance he meant to convert the richly wrought metal into ingots pest what a man said rastignac as he watched goriot's muscular arms there was not a sound in the room while the old man with the aid of the rope was kneading the silver like dough was he then indeed a thief or a receiver of stolen goods who affected imbecility and decrepitude and lived like a beggar that he might carry on his pursuits the more securely eugene stood for a moment revolving these questions then he looked again through the keyhole father goriot had unwound his coil of rope he had covered the table with a blanket and was now employed in rolling the flattened mass of silver into a bar an operation which he performed with marvellous dexterity why he must be as strong as augustus king of poland said eugene to himself when the bar was nearly finished father goriot looked sadly at his handiwork tears fell from his eyes he blew out the dip which had served him for a light while he manipulated the silver and eugene heard him sigh as he lay down again he is mad thought the student poor child father goriot said aloud rastignac hearing those words concluded to keep silence he would not hastily condemn his neighbor he was just in the doorway of his room when a strange sound from the staircase below reached his ears it might have been made by two men coming up in list slippers eugene listened 
two men there certainly were he could hear their breathing yet there had been no sound of opening the street door no footsteps in the passage suddenly too he saw a faint gleam of light on the second story it came from monsieur vautrin's room there are a good many mysteries here for a lodging-house he said to himself he went part of the way downstairs and listened again the rattle of gold reached his ears in another moment the light was put out and again he distinctly heard the breathing of two men but no sound of a door being opened or shut the two men went downstairs the faint sounds growing fainter as they went who is there cried madame vauquer out of her bedroom window i madame vauquer answered vautrin's deep bass voice i am coming in that is odd christophe drew the bolts said eugene going back to his room you have to sit up at night it seems if you really mean to know all that is going on about you in paris these incidents turned his thought from his ambitious dreams he betook himself to his work but his thought wandered back to father goriot's suspicious occupation madame de restaud's face swam again and again before his eyes like a vision of a brilliant future and at last he lay down and slept with clenched fists when a young man makes up his mind that he will work all night the chances are that seven times out of ten he will sleep till morning such vigils do not begin before we are turned twenty End of chapter three